Chapter 31, What Love Would Do In my hostel, I struggled with an awkward situation. Its owner, an Italian woman named Isabella, had received me politely but formally, and despite my best efforts, had staunchly maintained an air of formality and distance between us. I was at her large hostel with only two other guests. From the outset, I sensed their tension around Isabella, their desire to please her, or perhaps not raise her ire by infringing on the many rules that she had imposed. Every item had its designated place. Dishes were to be washed in a certain order, at a certain time, and stacked in a certain way. Silence was to be observed at mealtimes. She pointedly asked me not to speak about my travels or share my experiences, even though the others wanted to hear about them, believing such stories to be boastful. She chastised me more than once for being too happy, reminding me that the week leading up to Easter was a serious time of year, a time of contrition and suffering, and that my joy was the height of disrespect. Her harshness had at times reduced me to tears. I didn't leave because I felt there was a purpose for my being there, something that was important for my spiritual journey. I wanted to understand why she was bringing out such powerful emotions in me. But in my weakened physical state, fighting with an unrelenting cold and feeling bottled up in this restrictive environment, I didn't always have the energy to handle her criticism with grace. You're not doing this right, Isabella rebuked one night, yanking the plate from my hand and rearranging the food. Guests were arriving at the hostel and she wanted everything to be perfect. I walked away, weary of her attacks and angry at myself for allowing her comments to hurt me. I was about to enter my room when a sliver of golden light at the end of the corridor called my attention. It seemed to be beckoning me in the darkness, its slim finger held out in invitation. I followed it to its source, an intimate chapel whose walls glowed in the candlelight that filled the room. I sat down and began to cry. Why is she being so hard on me, I thought. Nothing I do is good enough. Nothing I do makes her happy. She only seems happy when I obey her commands like a good little girl. I want to leave, but instinct tells me to stay, that this is an important part of this way of peace. But what is it? As my emotions calmed, images began to flash in my mind's eye. The little girl trying to get the best grades, only to be told they weren't the highest. The young woman disappointing her family by choosing the business world and not becoming the doctor they all desired. The overachieving adult seeking success as a measure of her worth. I saw so clearly then that Isabella was my mother, my father, my ex-husband, and every other person whose approval I had so desperately sought. She was the rebellion against authority and the anger that seethed at injustice. She was the pain of rejection and inadequacy that hadn't yet healed. I tried to look past her harsh mannerisms to see the human being well hidden beyond, behind the mask of authority and confidence. I began to wonder about her story and what would make her so controlling. 
the most controlling people I ever knew harbored fear and insecurity so deep that the only way they knew how to deal with it was to control their world, to protect their vulnerability with the appearance of invulnerability. I understood Isabella perfectly, because I too was like her, a control addict, but a recovering one. As my heart grasped this truth that she and I were one, my image of her began to soften. Behind the hard taskmaster, I glimpsed a child, frightened and desperate for love, longing for approval. I wanted to reach out to that child to comfort her. What would love do? I heard whispered in my ear. Love is a beautiful ideal, my mind contested, but it doesn't always work. I have a right to feel angry. Love would see the light in the other, my heart insisted. Maybe she is as much a child as I am. Maybe she is hurting as much as I am. When a child is hurt and afraid, you hug them and tell them that you love them. You tell them that all will be well. That's what love would do. There is no way I am hugging her. My entire being retorted. It may be what love would do, but not me. What if she laughs at me, or worse, pushes me away? I could never handle that rejection. No thank you. I stood and left the chapel, happy with my latest revelation, even though I wasn't prepared to act on it. I stopped in the washroom to splash some cold water on my face and glanced in the mirror. The image that stared back at me was the one of the little girl I had glimpsed in my mind only moments earlier. This isn't about her, I thought. This is about me. I need to let go of my pride. I must take this step forward or be forever stuck in the past. I rushed to the kitchen before my mind could contradict my heart. Isabella was still moving about quickly and glanced at me distractedly. I waited for a pause in her movements, then walked up to her and awkwardly hugged her. Her body tensed. I held my breath. Slowly, she wrapped her arms around my back in a strong embrace. We held on for a long time, neither one letting go. I think you're doing a great job here, I said, finally releasing her. Isabella's face was alight, her eyes shining with tears. I'm sorry I'm so hard on you, she said, still holding my hands. But I think you're just too full of yourself. Really? I answered mischievously. I was thinking exactly the same thing about you. To her hearty laugh, I added, perhaps we're more alike than we care to admit. She gave my hand a squeeze before finally releasing it and returning to her work. But her movement seemed to me more relaxed, and the smile never left her face. I floated out of the kitchen, feeling higher and lighter than I can ever remember. On Pont Bordeaux, Apparition Hill, I had released my fears. With Isabella, I finally embraced them. On our last evening in Medjugorje, Alberto and I climbed Pont Bordeaux. We watched the sunset and the lights of the town come on. I recalled the village of Via Franca del Birzo along the Camino and its famous Puerta del Perdón, the door of forgiveness, and main entrance to the church of Santiago there. 
For those pilgrims who couldn't continue to Santiago de Compostela because of sickness or injury, it marked a point of completion. By arriving at the store, pilgrims received the same blessings they would have had they made it to Santiago. I knew I would make it to Jerusalem, but Medjugorje felt like my door of forgiveness. I had carried the hopes and prayers of those who couldn't be here and delivered them intact. I had carried a message of peace and appreciated the weight of that choice. And most miraculously, I had discovered that what I most disliked in another was also within me, and that love was the surest way to heal it. Standing on that hill that evening, with the canvas of lights at my feet and the gaze of Mary at my back, it was easy to believe that the children did see something here, something beautiful and radiant that filled them with hope and love. It was certainly what I felt. But to me, that energy was beyond form or religion. It was what Mary represented, the divine feminine energy, unconditional love, infinite peace and compassion, and unwavering grace. That energy was timeless and eternal, and was what I wished to carry with me to Jerusalem. On April 1st, 2002, Alberto and I took our first steps together again.